Testament reading this morning is from 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, verses 10 through 17. Let's listen for God's word for us today. Then David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty, for all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. And now, O God, our God, we give thanks to you and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to make this freewill offering? For all things come from you, and of your own have and of your own have we given you. For we are aliens and transients before you, as were all our ancestors. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you search the heart and take pleasure in uprightness in the uprightness of my heart. I have freely offered all these things and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. Our second scripture reading this morning comes to us from the New Testament in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. We're in the fourth chapter, just two verses to add here. Let's continue to listen for God's word for us here today. Now there was a Levite a native of Cyprus, Joseph by name, to whom the apostles had given the nickname Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that had belonged to him, and then he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. This too is the word of God for us here today. Thanks be to God. Join me now in a moment of prayer, will you? Speak, Lord, for your people are listening. We come today with hearts hungry for encouragement, for your nourishing word, and we give you thanks for your presence here to aid in delivering it. Grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this week, Whitney and I decided we would take the boys on a little adventure out of town, just a quick overnight trip, just to change the scenery. Uh, and we had a great time. We did a lot of fun stuff together. And as I had finished repacking the car and we got all the kids into the car and we're ready to head home, we did our usual pre-driving checklist, which is to make sure that everyone is buckled and in their seats and accounted for. You don't want to don't want to forget one of those kids on the way out. And as we were doing this, Whitney turned to the boys and, and she said to them, what do you say to dad? And without missing a beat, Brady, Jet, and Cal all responded, thank you, dad. And I responded a bit cheekily, for what? And then there was this silence. They weren't exactly sure what they were saying thank you for, I think. Was it for going on the trip? Was it for all the fun things we had done? Was it simply something more immediate like packing the car or driving home? 
What were they supposed to be thankful for? And then Brady broke the silence. He said, for everything. <laughs> Thank you for everything. And I laughed at myself because I thought, oh, he must have gotten a hold of the stewardship materials for this year. <laughs> Thank you for everything is our stewardship campaign theme this year. Not so much a campaign, really, as a season, an opportunity, a time for gratitude as a church, a time of joyful generosity and a time of hope. There may have been times in the past when stewardship has been about elaborate demands or 10-point plans and detailed budget proposals, which are all about meeting the anxieties for the future with, with promises. But this year we are doing less, and the hope is that less, in fact, is more. Because when you say thank you for everything, on the one hand, it is the most banal, generic, off-the-top-of-your-head kind of thank you you could ever give. At the same time, it is almost the deepest and most profound expression of gratitude that we could ever have. As I was saying to the kids a moment ago, when you say thank you, thank you is always said to someone for something. And typically, the best thank yous are the ones that are specific and that call to mind a specific act of grace or, or benevolence or gift that someone has given. But of course, there are times when those specific acts of grace are so abundant that even if we began enumerating them, we wouldn't, get, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to finish all of our thank yous in an in a appropriate amount of time. And so sometimes it really is appropriate to stop and say thank you for everything. I think that's how it is when it comes to gratitude for God. We heard uh, from First Chronicles, we heard the words of David, and he, sa he says to God, God, yours are the power and the majesty and the greatness and the victory, and, and on and on and on he goes. He's trying to capture all of the things that God has provided to him and to his kingdom and to his people. He, he can't capture them all. At the end of it, he simply just says, who are we? Who are we to have received so much that we in turn can turn around and give to the building up of your house? And so thank you for everything is at once both generic and banal and at the same time deep and profound. I heard a story this week that I wanted to share with you about gratitude and about generosity. It's about a woman named Sarah Moore, who is a Boston-based CEO and entrepreneur. Don't let the fancy titles fool you, though. Sarah Moore started out as a kid who bounced around from different foster homes. She ended up in juvenile detention. She was a troubled child by her own admission until she met a woman named Natalie Bracken who offered her shelter uh, some of the times when she would run away from an abusive home. And Natalie and her husband offered Sarah a stable home and they provided her the, the, the stability and the support that she, she needed. But the adjustment was not immediate. They took her into her home and uh, 
Well, she continued in her usual ways. She skipped school, she was out partying. Again, she was running into trouble until she had a conversation with Mr. Bracken, who sat her down and said, you cannot go on like this. This is not how the world works. There are rules and expectations and you need to follow them. And the funny thing was is she had never had a conversation like that before from a trusted adult in her life. She'd never heard those words. She had never known that there was anything expected of her. And so that, in addition to the home and, and the stability, was a gift that the Brackens gave to her. They gave her the gift of expectation. After being scared straight by that conversation, she started attending school regularly. She started boosting her grades. She got a job working at a, at a steel manufacturer. And the owners, the Greens, took a liking to her. Perhaps they saw in her the same thing that the Brackens had seen, that they had seen the scrappy potential of someone who had had to hustle their whole life to survive. Imagine what she could do if surviving wasn't her only priority. Imagine if she had her basic needs taken care of. Why then this hustler, this hard worker could thrive? And so as her high school graduation approached, Sarah wasn't sure what came next. She could continue in her job at the steel manufacturer, but the Greens had seen her potential. So one day, Mr. Green, who ran the company, sat down with Sarah and explained to her that she would need to continue her education and that he would pay for it. Little did she know that the owner of this small steel manufacturing company was wealthy enough to essentially give her a full tuition scholarship to go to college, just out of his own pocket. And that's what it was. It was a gift. There was no expectation that she would pay back the money or come back to work at the company. The Greens gave Sarah her own future, and they did it joyfully. Now, initially, when she went off to college, she set out to give back with her college degree. She, she thought she would become a social worker or a lawyer to help out kids like her and to give back in that way. But then she was struggling in her classes. She realized that, that this may not be the career path for her. Again, Mr. Green sat down with her, explained that it was clear she was not cut out for the public sector or for work in, in service in this way. She was, after all, an expert hustler. And the only way to do that legitimately is to become an entrepreneur. And so she needed to go into business, he suggested. But she'd already spent half of her college education on a psychology and, and pre-law classes. Well, Mr. Green said, I guess you're going to have to go to business school then. And once again, he offered financial support. She went to Harvard Business School on a Green Family Scholarship. Of course, at Harvard, one can imagine that a girl who had grown up in the foster system and, and bounced around in this blue-collar work might not fit in among the Ivy Leaguers. Perhaps that is why it prompted her to look at alternative paths in business beyond Wall Street. It led her to entrepreneurship through small business acquisition. This is when rather than starting your own company from scratch, you, you purchase a long-standing and profitable company, and, and it's usually not in a particularly glamorous industry. 
And so working out of the Harvard Library with a coterie of unpaid interns that she had found on Craigslist and gotten fake IDs for so they could get into the library to work with her, Sarah reached out to hundreds of small businesses in the greater Boston area and presented herself as the CEO of a private equity fund. It was indeed a private equity fund, just a very, very private one. And eventually her hustle paid off when the owner of a company called eggcartons.com responded to one of her requests and said, wow, you seem like just the kind of person I would want to sell to. And so she secured financing and became the CEO of eggcartons.com, which does exactly what you would think eggcartons.com does. They supply egg cartons and other specialty manufacturing. To this day, she is now the CEO of that company and others. But she's not interested now in giving back in a general way. She hasn't started a family foundation or a philanthropic organization to support kids in the foster system. Instead, she wants to duplicate the experience she had. She received the specific grace and support of the Brackens and the Greens, and so she wants to give back in that same way, to find people whom she can help by putting the full weight of her resources behind them in the same way that she had received the gifts of those families in ways that she never expected nor asked for and yet received with great gratitude. When people receive much, we expect them to give back. But like thank you for everything, giving back is one of these things that can be both as generic and banal as it is deep and profound. Giving back is a way of describing generosity. And again, generosity like gratitude is something that we do for someone and for something. It is a tangible thank you, a gift given in return, not because it's demanded, but because having been given so much, having experienced the fullness of life, you can't help but give from what you've been given so that others may know that joy. And fundamentally, that's what stewardship is about. It's about generosity to God through the church for everything. The innumerable but specific blessings that fill our days. And that generosity is given to the church, not just for things that happen within the four walls of the church. It's a recognition that Outside of these walls, in all of our lives, God is with us and blessing us at all times. And this is not just a material truth. It's not just a matter of social conventions or politeness. This is a deep and profound spiritual gift. In Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, he, he talks about many gifts that God gives to each member of the church. He says, each one, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He says to some, uh, the Spirit gives a message of wisdom. To others, the Spirit is given uh, miraculous powers or prophecy or the ability to speak in tongues or the interpretation of tongues. Paul talks about all of these spiritual gifts. The one he seems to forget, maybe because it goes without saying, is the spiritual gift of generosity. 
Because I think it doesn't take a lot to, to, ha- to, to receive blessings from God, but it does sometimes take a special gift to give. The book of Acts makes clear that generosity is a crucial and important spiritual gift. The first few chapters of the book of Acts are the story of Pentecost and then the story of Peter and John, two of the apostles. They go out and Peter preaches a great sermon. Then Peter and John begin the work of Christ, healing people, calling people to come and follow them. A community begins to form around them in which no one has need because everyone shares things in common. It says that people come and they they sold the things they had and they pooled their resources together so that the community would have all that it needs. But then the next person who is named specifically is, is in that verse that we heard today, that man named Joseph, who they called Barnabas. It goes, Peter, John, Barnabas. Those are the apostles that are named here. Now, Barnabas is said to mean son of encouragement, but properly speaking, that's not actually an accurate uh, uh, translation of the Hebrew name. The word Barnabas probably means something more like son of the prophet. Of course, when we think of prophets, we don't necessarily think of encouragement. We think of critique. We think of condemnations of injustice and greed and richness. But that's not all the prophets did. Sure, the prophets had their words against injustice, but they also were called to deliver encouraging words. And Barnabas is that kind of of prophet in the early church. But he does more than give an encouraging word. He has another spiritual gift. Barnabas gives a gift of the monetary value of his field to the fledgling community of Christ followers. As a landowner, Joseph would have been among the wealthier folks among the disciples. But unlike the rich young man who had come to Jesus and asked what he must do to inherit eternal life, Jesus had told him, you must go and sell all your possessions and come and follow me. That young man, he went away and mourned that that was Jesus' advice. Barnabas doesn't do that. He rejoices in selling it all. He sells his land and he brings it and he invests that wealth back into this new fledgling church community, this cause that has captured his heart. Barnabas would eventually be the one who would introduce a newcomer named Paul to the apostolic community in Jerusalem. He would vouch for this newcomer, Paul, whom they had known as Saul the persecutor, and would say, no, this man is one of us in addition to his gifts and his generosity in monetary value, he had generosity of spirit, a welcoming heart. Barnabas would go on to travel with Paul as he planted churches in Asia Minor, but eventually Barnabas and Paul separated. Paul continued his expeditionary missions, going off to start new churches in new places. But Barnabas, he was the son of encouragement. He went to the churches that had already been established to encourage them to keep the faith, to keep moving on, to keep putting one foot in front of the other so that the word of God would live in those communities and in those places. Barnabas shows us how God can move in a person's life and that they in turn can respond to that grace with their own acts of generosity. 
And so today, I do not come before you to demand or to cajole you to bring your gifts to the table. Rather, this table has been set as an opportunity for you to reflect upon all that you have been given, not just by this church, but by the God who lives and moves throughout your life. Today's word is an encouraging word, the encouragement that when we have been given much, we have much that we can give. And so that is your opportunity here today. I encourage you to think upon the things you have received from God, all of the spiritual and material blessings you have received, I encourage you to think of the church, but also beyond the church. If you have been given much, indeed you have much to give and be grateful for. And if you have been given little, well, even then the abundance of God is too numerous to name. And so you too have something to be grateful for. Today is our opportunity to say thank you for everything. Not just in that generic banal way, but in the deepest sense that we have been given all things. And so we say thank you to the one from whom we have received. Thanks be to God.